What about President Obama? That punk. Yeah. Man, I asked him to be on right after he did Mark Marin because I want to give him a real interview. <laughs> he didn't even respond to me. That's Are you like, serious? Yeah, I know, right? Jeez. Ugh. The nerve. What are you, busy? It's your last term. You don't have to get ready for another one. What's your deal? <laughs> yeah. just, hang, just hanging out playing basketball. <laughs> I would talk to Obama in a minute. Would you? Oh, Mike, guess who the third guest would be? My mom. <laughs> what would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? I am being realistic. As the story grows. Welcome back to As the Story Grows. My name is Trav, and I got two guests with me. Uh, one I'm going to call a guest host, and uh, if anyone's been listening uh, to some old episodes, we got Mr. Seth Workheiser joining me. Seth, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Good. Glad to hear it. I'm glad, glad you're here because we're talking to uh, we're talking to I consider to be a pretty important guest. I don't know how he feels about it, but I think it's pretty important. Uh, Mr. Ryan Downey has joined us on uh, this episode, and this guy has so much knowledge in that head of his that I just want to scoop all the knowledge out and smear it all over your ears, listeners. You just want to smash my head with a sledgehammer and see what falls out. I just want to scoop it out and smear it straight through the microphone. Is that weird? Did that get gross? It would be so epic and iconic if you did that. Totally. It would, I'm going brutal. I'm going. If I, if I bash your head with a hammer, I'm sticking with brutal. It would definitely be... Sick. It would be sick. It would be sick. Yeah, I've, I just got I just got schooled uh, from Ryan, who is in the industry and he really knows his stuff. That uh, we don't go with epic anymore. It's now mm-hmm. iconic and brutal. Which I I'm still on brutal. I like brutal. Um, brutal has been replaced with sick. I wasn't well, aware I, of any of this. Let me make it clear that I hate epic and iconic. Oh. 
Okay. Yeah, I, was, I was saying Iconic has replaced Epic as the overused, misunderstood, misused... Got it. Uh, ...catch-all for everything. Our new album's really Iconic. Really? It's not out yet. <laughs> as, as, long as, we're, as long as we're past Passionate. Oh, God. We'll never be past change. that. I know. I know. Hey, man, we just do it all for our fans, you know, because at the end of the day... <laughs> I've had so many kids come up to me after our shows and just tell us how much Ben means to them. And I don't care if one person likes our new album or a million people like it. I just, you know. Ryan, has anybody ever told you that uh, one of your songs really got them through a tough time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I've saved a lot of kids' lives, but, you know, I try to be <laughs> humble about it. Well, man, we're, we're just really trying to get things to the next level, you know? I just would really love to be able to play music for a living. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. new, uh, new album's pretty heavy. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing, though. The heavy parts are the heaviest we've ever had, but then the melodic part, we just decided to really go for it with the melodies, you know? And we just wanted everything to sound big. <laughs> like the production was really big. But, you know, what we did this time is we really focused on songwriting. Like, we really, mm-hmm. you know... We just wanted the songs to like be really catchy and really we went anthetic. To, we we wanted to be really iconic. Cabin. Yeah. Right, that's weird. You just read, you just read every interview I've ever heard. All of them. I, I, iconic is the new epic, I've decided. <laughs> ah, all right. What's Straight the new Brutal? Straight Outta Compton is so iconic. Everybody go see it. Uh, it came out today. Like, it cannot be iconic yet. <laughs> yeah. What's the new Brutal? Brutal. I don't know. I feel like I feel like sick has been the new brutal for a sick. while. Sick. All right, all right. I'll take it. I'll go by that. But I feel like that's got to be on its way out by now too, right? I don't. I don't know. I just found out it was sick, so it's new to me. That's iconic. Totally iconic. What about some crazy tour stories? <laughs> oh. <laughs> any 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 wacky stories from the studio? Who's the biggest prankster? <laughs> Who smells so, the most in the van? So it, it's fun in this, in that Ryan, uh, um, what, what you're a, a so is it associate editor or editor West Coast I'm, editor? Uh, I'm a senior editor now. Senior editor. Oh, right. my, my apologies. Yeah. Is that um, is that like like is that an age thing? Is it? <laughs> yeah, uh, senior senior citizen editor. <laughs> Oh, Better yeah. parking spot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At my, my age in the world of Warp Tour, I might as well be 95. So. <laughs> yeah. I think I know how you feel. No, I'm. No. A, yeah, it's uh, you know, I've been contributing over the years. Going, I mean, my first story for them was 300 words on Coalesce and 1997. Oh. So um, you, said the, you said the c word, and I just beat a little bit. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, is this uh, is this podcast um, family friendly? No, you curse? no, you can curse what you want. Shit. I mean, I don't even know that I want to curse. I just want to tell um. you about the time that I saw Coalesce play in a basement. Uh, mm-hmm. I think my I think my band might have even played with them. And which band was that? Uh, Coalesce. No, um, your band. Oh, yeah, I was in Coalesce. <laughs> no, you weren't. Uh, no. uh, I was in a band called Burn It Down. That was there. Going. It is okay. <laughs>
there was some show, I think it was one of the shows we played with them, where during the set, you know, they're just like freaking out, having this transcendental, quasi-spiritual, crazy, cool-ass experience. Love it. And at a certain point, um, it really looked like Jess had shoved his hand down his pants and was masturbating uh, behind his guitar while with his other hand, like, you know, tapping it and making weird guitar sounds. Um, wow. I asked him about this because, I mean, this was like, you know, uh, probably 97, 98 or something like that. And then I did a coalesce oral history for AP maybe in 2008 or something like that. Okay. And I asked Jess about that. And he was like, yep, that's exactly <laughs> what was happening. <laughs> he just, he, and he had a whole, uh, he had a whole, you know, typically Jess uh, verbose, philosophical, intense explanation wow. for it that I won't try to mm. recreate, but uh, yeah. Did he, uh, did, he, did he finish? No, I don't think so. Our, oh, the guitar sorry. player from my band claims that he finished and ate it. Alright. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't see that and just didn't answer that part of the question. That's epic. Wow. <laughs> that No, that's brutal. That's that, is, that might actually be iconic. That's, you know, yeah. That's, you don't see many bands doing that these days. Oh, it's, it's, it, is, it is not a family-friendly show. You can say whatever you want, but I really wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, I that's, and you know what? I don't, I don't think every I, time I'm listening to Functioning on Impatience, I have to think about that. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think I cursed while relaying that anecdote. True. No, True. no, good job. We can. Yeah, I'll yeah. definitely let the kids hear it. It's in the Bible, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not in the Bible. <laughs> well, not playing guitar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No one. No one played guitar. It might, yeah. Hey, it might be in the Bhagavad Gita. He was, I think, Krishna at that time. So. <laughs> wow, that was a weird intro. Congratulations. So, yeah. So um, that's a weird. That's a weird from there. You knocked me right off my my path. Now I don't. I don't know. Oh, uh, you were asking me about senior editor for AP, and then we started talking about Cole last because that was the first thing. I did. Right. No. No. Just yeah. to say, because you know we were just riffing on the 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 funny interview questions, and 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 in yeah. your experience with you know alternative press and uh, me, I going back to two thousand one with Buzzgrinder and oh my god, you know the whole music blog thing. Um, oh, yeah. what's a music blog? <laughs> it's this thing in 2007 that used to help sell albums. Oh, what's an album? Right, yeah. So, um, is that like that thing that Dr. Dre put out a couple of days ago? <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Well, I wanted to talk to you because of that head full of knowledge and stories, mm -hmm. and uh, I kind of joking around before we got started here. We were, we were, you know. Hemming and hauling, as the Dutch say, back and forth with some of these lines and what bands say and everything. I, I, I don't want to hear it from a band member. I want to hear it from someone that's involved in the industry. And you're actually a, a superhero management. Like that's like your thing, right? Uh, yes, that um, started in 2003, super organically. It was it was originally as simple as I had a friend in a band who said. We feel like we're at a stage where we need a manager, which was kind of a new thing in the in the quote unquote scene at that time. It wasn't really something that I you really I never heard of bands even really having managers <laughs> prior to around that era. Right. Um, but they were like, you know, we are kind of the best of both worlds because you came from where we did and we know you and we trust you, but you also at the time I was working full time at MTV and doing a lot of freelance writing and stuff and um, you know, they were like you're in 
you're a legitimate industry person, but you're also one of us, and that's that's kind of what we think we need. And can I ask? Can I ask what band that was? Uh, yeah, that was the band Bleeding Through. Oh, okay. Um, and I I was with them from 2003 uh, until the end uh, when they, they split up a year ago or so. Right on. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was uh, originally I had said, well, I'll give it a try, but I, I'm not going to charge you any money for it because I don't know if I'll have any idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, like everything else in life, you know, you just kind of like try and figure it out. And um, yeah, after a few months, uh, that was in September of '03, and by January of '04, I had them on Ozfest uh, coming up that summer. And um, I was friends with the guys in Throwdown. I was friends with the guys in Zayo, and uh, both of those bands basically reached out and said, "Hey, you're managing bands now. Why why don't you manage our band?" <laughs> um, so by the time the summer of '04 was rolling around. I uh, had both Bleeding Through and Throwdown booked for Ozfest, um, and Zayo about to put out a new record, and uh, their first record on Ferret. And, you know, I had to make a choice of, okay, right now I'm, I work at MTV and I manage bands on the side. I'm, I think I'm going to have to switch this up to I manage bands full-time, and I'm a journalist on the side. Hmm. And so that that transition really took place in 2004, and then as that went forward, um, you know, I, I worked for MSNBC for about a year, um, but it was it really amounted to like a couple of days a week, and you know, I always kind of kept a foot in in both worlds, uh, which have has always intersected and really sort of helped each other in different ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, long story short, um, over the last man, uh, it'll be. Tr- 12 years next month, actually, so, wow. yeah, September 2015. Over the last 12 years, uh, for the majority of that time, uh, Bleeding Through, Throwdown, Tiger Army, and Demon Hunter were kind of the core of the roster. Um, mm-hmm. I was with each of those bands uh, for about a decade apiece. Uh, Bleeding Through split up. Uh, I technically still represent Throwdown, um, but other than putting out, re- putting out records once in a while and playing a couple festivals a couple times a year, it's not really an active band. Uh, I do still work with Demon Hunter, who's very much an active band. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else? Um, well, yeah, I've, I've gotten really into managing producers lately. So uh, today, I mean, I've also worked with MXPX and um, Dillinger Escape Plan and some other bands over the years. But sure. Today, talking to you guys right now, August 2015, <laughs> uh, the roster is basically uh, Zeus, Ross Robinson, and Steve Evans are the producers. Wow. Um, Demon Hunter is the main band. Uh, I also work with a band called The Atlas Moth. Um, And I work with Greg Cusciato of the Dillinger Escape Plan. Uh, I work with him in Killer Be Killed and another project he has called The Black Queen. I just learned something. I've been pronouncing Greg's last name wrong since I've heard of Greg's name. (laughs) I might have just pronounced it wrong. He he won't even listen, so don't worry. Oh, okay. I just called him. (laughs) I call him Greg from Dillinger, so I... Yeah, that's in. usually what I do. What What does it entail exactly when you say that you manage Greg and you manage bands and just, just like, explain to a guy that just buys records uh, from the local shop and goes to see bands, what what is a day-to-day manager got to do? Um, so, you, so you manage bands. Do you get their interviews? No. Do you book their shows? No. <laughs> oh, so you, you put out their CDs. <laughs> no. no. So you do Just like their, their, like their legal work, like their contracts and stuff. <laughs> what would you say you do here? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
but the, but, the, but the answer to that is usually when people get to the when they've exhausted every one of those questions, that's when they go. So what do you do? And I go everything else plus all those things you just asked me about. I'm part of. Right. Gotcha. Oh, that's a cool answer. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you manage Russ Robinson. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. Well, going back to about 2000. I don't know. Uh, 10, 11. Huh. Um. Yeah, I, I took on a partner a few years ago, uh, kind of partner, mentor, uh, advisor. Um, which you know, I, I'd always done the company by myself. I had employees and things like that. Um, but I realized at a certain stage of my life a few years ago, and in all of my DIY hardcore kidness, um, <laughs> I was always trying to figure everything out, and I never just like went to people. Uh, with more experience or experience in different areas. Like I, I didn't go to people often enough and say, like, hey, will you help me? <laughs> and um, I finally, you know... That's pride. That. That's pride, Ryan. And we'll... <laughs> and, uh, well, I think it was just sort of like... It, 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 it sounds weird to say it, but I think it just didn't occur to me. <laughs> it just didn't dawn on me to ask for help. I was too busy, you know? Like, I totally get with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so the, the guy who I, I took on as a partner... Um, He's managed Ross for a number of years, and he's uh, really busy with a bunch of other endeavors. Um, so uh, he brought me in kind of as a co-managed thing, and then that quickly became, I'm, you know, I'm just managing him. Uh, so Right on. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, funny you should say that about uh, not asking somebody that knows more that maybe they could help. That's kind of why we're here. I wanted to ask you, I, I was, I was uh, setting this up before we got started. Um, I wanted to ask you kind of a state of the industry address here. Um, I am just a layman. I got a nine to five normal job. I'm a music fan. I'm a hobbyist musician. I've, I've, I, I'm doing it for fun. I absolutely don't care if anybody ever hears it. Doesn't matter. Um, I buy records. I try not to get them for free. On occasion, one falls in my lap. I'm not going to say no because it's cheaper that way. <laughs> but I'm doing what I know to do to support the industry is um, go order the damn album. Uh, go get the record with the download so I can say that I officially bought it and I have it on vinyl and I can put it on my phone and listen to it while I'm working. Um, spending money. I'm going to shows. I'm doing everything that I can. Yet, bands that I love are cranking out first week numbers that I just are dropping my jaw. I don't understand what is going on. And I was kind of hoping that we can we can cover some things. And uh, We're going to fix it, I think, right? With this I, I, yeah. my, goal, my goal is to fix the music at the end of this podcast, Ryan. No pressure. You know, no, I, I actually have that on my calendar. So my, my uh, is that, do you have it for today? <laughs> that would be an amazing coincidence because we can do it all together right here. And then Seth is going to help us figure out how to monetize fixing the music industry. Ding, ding, ding. And I, oh, I guess I'll just, I'll just post it. I don't know what else. Yeah. I'll just post yeah, it. Just yeah. get that up there. Yeah. Well, you can, you, you can bill yourself as a hobbyist fixer of the music industry. Mm. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Here. That's cool. Uh, all right. So my first question, here I go like I have a list of questions, but I kind of do. And I want you to just babble and explain anything that you know and, and talk <laughs> <laughs> and talk like you're speaking to someone that isn't inside industry because I'm not. But I think the first time that I ever heard licensing was, um, and I might be wrong about this. This could be false information, but I'm going to throw it out there. I thought I heard that, speaking of Greg, while Dillinger was in between Dimitri and Greg, um, I thought when Mike Patton came in to do that EP with them, which was... <laughs> Amazing, by the way. Get out of here! Get out of here! 
thought that Mike kind of introduced Dillinger to licensing an album. And instead of the traditional record deal, um, you guys should license it. And I heard that, or read it or something, or heard it from somebody, and I thought, I now I don't know what two things mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't know how, and everyone who's listening to this always says, oh, record companies are out ripping people off, and oh, Richard's getting richer, and the musicians are getting screwed. Yeah, that's true. Um, can you kind of shed a little bit of light on like a traditional record deal versus um, a band hashing it out to be licensed now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Dillinger's a good jumping off point because, uh, you know, the original incarnation of the band um, put out a record with a friend and then signed Relapse, which, you know, Relapse is a great label who's put out some of my favorite records over the years. Yeah. I've known a lot of people there. I know Matt, the owner. Um Great people, uh, but yeah, it was it was one of those things where it's like it was an era when a band like Dillinger getting any kind of record deal anywhere just seemed insane. Uh, so I think they kind of went into it with some blinders on and definitely signed a traditional record deal as you did in the mid '90s. And by the time they were free from that contract, you know Ben Weinman, the founding member of the band, who mm-hmm. uh, you know is still still in it. Um, he has been very savvy for a long time about uh, changes in the industry and all that sort of thing, and very independently minded, um, stubbornly so. You know, it's his blessing and his curse. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, he he definitely was on the ground floor of making creative deals. Uh, and you know, I don't know a lot about the specifics of the Epitaph deal. I do know, having worked with Epitaph. Uh, you know, like I said, I managed the Van Tiger Army for ten years. That was that we were on Epitaph during that run. Um, good, good friends over there, and I know them to be a fair and honest label. And um, and I don't just pay lip service. I can tell you the ones that aren't fair or honest. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, I can tell you that the deal that Dillinger made with Season of Mist. And then when I was involved with the band, the deal that we made with both Sumerian uh, for North America and BMG for the rest of the world, uh, those were definitely very uniquely structured. Um, the goal in each of those cases uh, for Ben was to establish a singular brand called Party Smasher, uh, which would you know, become known as a label that's associated with Dillinger, but also he has a much grander broader idea of, of what the party smasher thing will entail, and of course it, it will involve putting out other bands and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of the goal, uh, and it's a little easier said than done. Um, 
you know, the, the deals I would describe as somewhere in between a traditional record deal and a license deal, which I, I will get to your question and break that down. Uh, Take your time, dude. But where, where Dillinger is concerned, uh, and this is, and like I said, they're a good jumping off point, but this is, uh, there's multiple bands that this applies to. Um, the idea was we want to have our own label, um, and when record labels are courting you and they're competing with each other to sign you, They'll all say, oh, yeah, you want, you want your own imprint? Sure. Because in their mind, it's like, we're going to do what we normally do, and we'll just slap that logo on the back next to ours to make you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we definitely ran into some of that. I mean, what, what, I, what I proposed to Sumerian, for example, about what the Party Smasher thing would be and how it turned out were, were two very different things. And that's not to disparage anybody over there. I mean, you know, I'm friends with everybody at that label, and... Uh, Mm-hmm. No, <clears throat> they did a lot, a lot of great things for the band um, with that record. Uh, but I, you know, I had sort of an idea. I, I had pitched to Ash Appleton, who owns the label. Uh, I was like, "Hey, man, like you know, back in the '90s, when it was all about fat and epitaph and nitro and kung fu and Asian man, and uh, you know, there were all these punk, uh, pop punk labels. Um, Oh, the only one that's really survived is Epitaph. And I think the reason Epitaph survived is because when they were all kings of the pop-punk scene, Brett was savvy enough to partner up with Tim Armstrong and say, hey, um, let's do this Hellcat thing and get into this street punk and stuff and Psychobilly and Ska and all that. Okay. And then he partnered up with this guy, Andy Culkin, and started Anti. And, you know, I realized the first time I ever met Brett years ago, um, I was geeking out about Nick Cave. And I realized as I was talking to him that he didn't know a whole lot about Nick Cave. But rather than uh, being bummed about that, I I quickly realized, like, man, this guy's got it figured out. They say to, you know, surround yourself with people that are uh, smarter than you or know things that you don't. That's what I did for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's like, you know, that's why Brett partnered up with this guy Andy and did Anti, because Andy knows who Nick Cave is and why it's a good signing and so, you know, I mean, you not one one person can't know everything. Um, so anyway, that was that was my pitch to Ash was like, "Hey, you're kind of king of this niche of metalcore that you have going right now. This is, you know, 3 years ago." Um, but I think if you make this a real label like an anti and partner up with Ben and Greg and let them curate and develop and, you know, move animals and leaders over to that and uh, you know, they're friends with the guys in the Deftones, we could get some of those projects and put it there. And, you know, had this whole sort of vision for it, and, and he was like, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, sounds great. And then after we had signed to the label, we put out our first uh, tour ad mat and it had the Party Smasher logo on there, mm-hmm. and he hit me up at 2 in the morning super pissed off that there was no Sumerian logo. And I'm like, well, dude, you know, when Nico Case puts out an album, it doesn't say Epitaph, it says Anti. Like, this is kind of like what we talk about. And again, this isn't to disparage Ash, because it, it's an emblematic of a lot of things, and guys like Ash work really hard to establish their brand. Okay. And they dump a ton of resources into something like Dillinger, and they want to, you know, they want their brand to reap the reward of that. And they also don't want to feel like a band is embarrassed to be there, or doesn't want to be associated with other bands or whatever. I totally get all of that. But I, I guess this, this story just kind of illustrates some of the difficulties in trying to do some of these unique deals. On the flip side, Ben had a lot of great relationships with people at BMG, who of course is a massive company. Uh, He wanted to do the deal with them for the rest of the world. 
Um, you know, there's some nice people there, some well-meaning people. They had great resources. Uh, they were essentially a bank, and them being the bank sort of left the onerous on us to kind of be the label. And, you know, there's the problem with that scenario, because a lot of bands do this thing now where they go, well, we'll carve it up by territory, and we'll do, um, instead of doing a worldwide deal, we'll do separate deals with different labels and find the best label in each country. And there's some wisdom to that, but then the reality of it is you end up with a bunch of mercenaries working for you where no one has any real ownership of the project. It's, it's For everybody, it's a freelance short-term gig. Mm. And uh, there were some guys in Europe who pulled a very sneaky maneuver, uh, which was, you know, the idea is we were starting Party Smasher over there, and with BMG, they were like, you don't even have to put our logo on there at all. Like, this is your label. We are just manufacturing, distributing, funding, you know, put a little legal line somewhere in there. Uh, whereas with Sumerian, it was very important to them to have, have it co-branded. Uh, well, the band gets over to Europe and gets some copies of their CDs and come to find out the marketing company that we had hired in Europe to work the record had just decided to make up a label of their own and put that logo on the back. <laughs> and and this, is, this is a very music business kind of story because here was their excuse. Um, the team at Sumerian and myself and Ben, we put together the artwork package for that album, uh, which is, you know, was pretty involved and there's like hand-painted stuff and the artist was running behind because he's very, you know, good and meticulous and Long story short, you know, that stuff was all kind of late, and people in other territories were just kind of waiting on I mean, they really let Sumerian do the heavy lifting. Uh, so when I finally was able to deliver the finished album art to everybody around the world, I said, here's the link. Um, in Australia, we had licensed to a label called uh, Remote Control. Um, in Japan, we were with Grindhouse. So I'd sent this email that went to Europe, Japan, and Australia, and I said, here's the artwork. You don't need to change anything. You don't need to do anything formatting-wise. It's all good to go. Just, you know, take the Sumerian logo off and put the appropriate uh, label logos for your territory. Mm -hmm. Meaning Grindhouse and Remote Control, who were real established record labels that we had done specific deals with, Put the logos on there. That became the Euro guy's uh, excuse. Well, we got this email from your manager that said, put your label logos on there. Uh, and they literally had started a label, and Dillinger was the first band on it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and again, I mean, if they were on the call, they would blame it all on me, but this is just emblematic of like some of the, the complications that come up with the do-it-yourself sounds great until you're actually knee-deep in doing it and it's this transitional stage that the industry is in right now is a real big pain in the ass. Um, wow. So, so, that, so what happened? To, well, to, well, <laughs> and that was, it was a one-off deal all around. So uh, they're currently in the process of figuring out how and where they're going to release uh, their next record, which interestingly enough is a similar situation that we're in with Demon Hunter right now uh, in that, you know, uh, Ryan Clark, who's the, you know, founding member, songwriter, singer, so on and so forth. He's been signed 
to tooth and nail since he was old enough to sign a record contract. Training for Utopia. Middle school, right? Called, uh, he had a band called Focal Point before Training for Utopia. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, was, he was 17 when that band started recording their first album for Tooth and Nail. So, you know, he, he's only really ever had the one very traditional label experience. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, he worked for the label for a number of years and were, were both very, very good friends with Brandon, the owner, and Jim, the VP over there, and I mean, we love we love the whole team at the label. Um, on the flip side, uh, you know, he did the Focal Point record, two and a half Training for Utopia records. Um, we are, I mean, Demon Hunter has cranked out a record almost every other year for the last ten or eleven years, and you know, a DVD and box sets, and we've done a, we've done a lot of stuff there. Um, we're out of our contract, and when it comes time to make the next record, it's not a, really a question of do we like the guys at Tooth and Nail. It's more a question of uh, what what for the things that you have to give up to do a traditional record deal. What are we getting in return? So, and, th- and this really boils down to your the specifics of your question, which is the old model, the traditional model, as people will put it. The benefits were. You signed to a label, and well, you know. Let me back up. Actually, I'll start with the detriments. You signed to a label, <laughs> and the and the label usually just owns everything, right? And they you get a you get a royalty rate where they get to recoup all the money that they've spent on you um, before they have to pay you royalties, and they get to recoup it out of your royalties. Um, and by the time that finally happens, you start seeing this small little sliver of a percentage. And as the industry first started going on the skids, they started doing what they call 360 deals, where the label said, um, we're not making the kind of money we used to make selling CDs, so now we, we now also we want, want... shirts and stickers and... Exactly, we want shirts, we want part of your touring. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's been a lot of those, but and that's all the downside. And I think, it's, I think people are pretty familiar with the downside of labels ripping you off and so on, and how they don't care, once it, you know, how callous they can be about dropping a band and this and that. Mm-hmm. The, the advantages, though, to that traditional model were that, uh, particularly for an unknown band, you had access to all the resources of that label. Um, they, they had capital to risk on you that you didn't have yourself uh, in terms of giving you money to live on and to make your record and to manufacture the record and to put it out there and to give you... Publicist to publicize it, yeah. Totally, everything. I mean, yeah. you name it. And, and they would also have kind of an established brand and a existing staff who was experienced and knowledgeable and, and credible and could put their stamp on your thing. And, and you know, they, they had the relationships with all the magazines, with MTV, with yep. radio programmers, and the whole thing. So, what, and, and with stores also, you know, Sam Goody, Tower, Best Buy, you know... Uh, and what's changed now, and I think why more and more bands are looking at different ways of doing it, is they still not only want all the things from you that they wanted before, the record labels, they want more from you than they used to get, and yet what they can provide to you is less. Um, certainly certainly in pragmatic terms, you know, the budgets are a lot smaller because the labels have less resources to spend. Mm-hmm. But more, moreover... The staffs are a lot smaller. Um, you know, the publicists who used to get you in Spin and Blender and 
Tower Pulse and all these magazines <laughs> that were around. I mean, now it's Rolling Stone and Alternative Press. Like, those are the two monthly magazines in America that cover rock music. Um, and, I mean, I certainly would take Decibel, but Decibel obviously serves a, a very specific niche. Um, and I'm a massive, massive fan of Decibel. Um, but, you know, you get my point. It's like there's not the same, oh, we're going to plug you into the system and, and see what sticks. Are you going to get my, my video played on MTV? Exactly. Right. Are you going to get us on the tightly controlled uh, radio playlists that no one's listening to anyway because everyone has satellite or Spotify <laughs> or, you know, so right. it, it, particularly for an established band like a Demon Hunter or a Dillinger Escape Plan, uh, you know, the idea that we need somebody to help us get out in front of everybody, maybe we've gotten out in front of everybody we're going to. And we and we have something to offer labels now in that we have guaranteed base of sales of uh, diehard lifestyle fans hmm. going to buy everything that bands like that do. Um, and, you know, it's the, the teeter-totter, so to speak, is, is really tipped in the other direction to where... Established bands have a lot more power, and unestablished bands, um, I think, have a little bit of a harder time. I mean, there's there's way more tools out there, but that also means there's way more bands, there's way more competition. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're if you're an established act, um, there's a number of different ways you can do it. Uh, so there's the traditional deal, which I think everybody's pretty familiar with, and then a, a licensing deal is usually we paid to make our record. Uh, we, you know, we paid for the recording and this and that. Um, we're going to make a deal with you, the record label, that's more of a partnership where we still own our record, uh, but we're making a deal where you guys will, you know, manufacture it, get it into stores, get it onto digital outlets, do some marketing, hire a publicist, whatever it is, um, and, you know, we'll do some kind of profit share. A lot of times it's 50-50. Um, a lot of labels in our world are doing 50-50 deals. Um, one of the benefits to that also is that, you know, they come to you in those instances and say, hey, we want to buy this full-page ad in Revolver. We, you know, we've got enough money to do that or to buy some Facebook targeted ads. Which one do you guys want to do? Yeah. Which weren't the kind of conversations that happened between... <laughs> you heard Seth. You heard Seth. You heard my eyes rolling, yeah. Right. Um, you know, when, when, when it's a license or a partnership like that, there's a lot more direct involvement and uh, a lot more understanding of kind of what's going on. Okay. Um, but as, I'm, as I know Seth, being as savvy to all of this stuff as he's been for years... As Seth can tell you, you don't need a record label to get your music on iTunes. You don't need a record label to press vinyl or press a CD. Um, going on tour used to be the loss leader advertisement for the recorded music product. So, you know, major labels would sign bands and be like, here's $40,000 to go on tour because, you know, it's real expensive to go on tour, and you guys are going to lose money, but it's going to sell us records. Now it's the other way around. Now they're like, uh, you know, the CD's the lost leader to get people to come to your shows where you might actually sell a T-shirt and make a dollar. Wow. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I mentioned Bleeding Through was the first band that I had managed. Um, back in 2005, 
Uh, and this is another interesting uh, label thing that we haven't covered yet. I love it. Uh, I don't know. You're probably familiar with upstreaming, right? Which is where uh, indie labels that are owned by major labels, and this happened a lot more when the industry was bigger, um, they would kind of use the indie label as a farm team and for some of the bands who looked like they could graduate up to the major. Um, like like uh, Abacus to Century Media, for example? Um, more of the majors like Sony, Warner, oh, okay. uh, Universal, um, Fall Out Boy, I think Paramore. I, I tried. I tried to sound like I knew what I was Love Drug do that years ago? Uh, yes. Um, yeah. Fall Out Boy, you know, signed to Fueled by Ramen. Fueled by Ramen had a deal with Atlantic um, where, they, you know, Atlantic kind of had the option to, hey, if one of your band, you know, if a band like Fall Out Boy is doing really well and we want to give them the boost up, you know, we can do that. Well, that's gotcha. that's upstreaming. What I learned about in 2005 was a thing called downstreaming. Oh, that sounds bad. Which is, uh, well, it's just a little craftier. Um, Jive Records, which I believe was a division of Sony at the time, Jive in 2005 was Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, so on and so forth. Okay. They signed a band called Bullet for My Valentine from the UK, and I think they realized we don't know how to market this band. It's not going to be... <laughs> it's not going to be... It's not going to be... Label Bullet with My Valentine were label mates with Britney Spears? Oh, Did yeah, I just that hear that? A, that was a Jive recording artist. Wow. Um, All right. They, they were... You know, the, the corporation basically realized this band isn't going to have any credibility in the world where we want them to be. Right, right. Um, if it says Jive Records on the back, uh, Trustkill Records at the time was in the Sony system. Sony owned a percentage of Trustkill. And they said, hey, we're going to put this band, Bullet for My Valentine, on your label, quote-unquote, air quotes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it'll say Trustkill on the back, and it'll be marketed with your bands and your records. Um, and we'll do that for as long as it takes to get them established, and then we'll start putting Sony or whatever on the back. No way. I didn't know Which that. is exactly what happened. Yeah, and that's the opposite. That's a, that's a downstream. And, you know, Trustkill has a certain amount of bragging rights to how much that first album sold, but on the flip side, um, the label was getting paid a royalty on that record. They weren't they weren't the record label. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, they, they got a royalty like like a producer would or a band member or something. Um, and I'm sure those checks were nice, but it by no means was the same as, uh, as being the label. Um, what made me think about that is when we are talking about tour support was in 2005, when nobody knew who that band was yet, and they were air quotes on Trustkill, uh, the label owner of Trustkill called me up and said, hey, I've got this band, Bullet for My Valentine, um, I'd like you to put them on Bleeding Through's headliner this summer. They'll take the first to five slot. You don't have to pay them anything, and I've got seventy thousand in marketing to give you guys. <laughs> and we, you know, lo long story, but we were none of us were down with. It was a deal with the devil, <laughs> and uh, we just said no, kind of on principle. And sure enough, they ended up on and it dies today tour. Uh, I believe they were first to four on that, and they showed up in a, in a bus. And it's, I believe it dies today was headlining the tour in a van. Sure. And that's just kind of a, and this is no slight on Bull Over My Valentine. I don't know those dudes. I don't care. It, it's just more of an illustration of, I think that was kind of the last hurrah 
of that method of doing things where you sign a band like that and you just had all this money to throw at them. And, you know, in their case, it worked. They, they started selling a lot of records in America. Got it. Um, in a lot of cases, it didn't work. And the ones that did work would pay for the ones that didn't. And um, now there's just so much less to go around that, uh, you know, they, uh, they won't take the same risks. Right. So... That was my two-hour-long dissertation on all. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get any of that. Can you start over? How? <laughs> what's licensing? No, that's, as that's, that's as my friend Jason Pettigrew, the editor in chief of Alternative Press, reminded me recently. It was funny. He quoted me back to me, and I didn't remember ever saying this. <laughs> uh, the music business today is more assholes fighting over less stuff. Mm. That's that's my one sentence answer to your question. The state of the union. Wow. Almost wow. to that point, too, though, of, like, uh, Travis and I were talking uh, about this earlier in that, well, the whole music industry is dying. It's dead, right? Yep, dead in the water. And then, I mean, and then you write for a major magazine, and, you know, oh, magazines are dead. Print, print's dead. Yeah, good point. But, but like, it's still going. And, like, mm -hmm. it's 2015. Um, there's still great writing out there. There's still great freaking music. There's so much freaking great. I can't keep up. Sure. Yeah. They're like. <sighs> I, I was just bitching about. I don't mean to interrupt Seth, but I have to get this out there. I was just bitching. My biggest problem this year was the fact that Hum <laughs> finally came to Philadelphia. I've been waiting for that since 1990. They finally came to Philly, and I'm like, yeah. I was like as excited as uh, Coalesce was with their guitar solo, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and um, I couldn't go see Mutoid Man that night because it was the same night, damn it! And I couldn't be in the in same city. Yeah, it was the same city. And Tuesday that week, Sumac opened for Neurosis, and it was like the tour thing is like stop, everyone slow down, and I can't see all of you. I want to, but for crying out loud, I got to cut my grass, you know? <laughs> Hashtag first world problems. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't, no. Don't ever I, say don't ever say hashtag on my podcast. Don't, don't, don't do it. I thought I saw a podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, it's funny because for every week that you hear someone complain, man, the number one album in America only sold thirty thousand copies this week. Like it's crazy that that's all it takes to be number one. That's how messed up everything is. The next week, you know, like. This last week, we just had the number one record sold like 300,000-something. And that, that Dr. Dre record that they announced like a couple of days before it came out did 200-something first week. Right. And I'm not saying that that's anything like the days when Eminem had done like 2 million records by the second week. and Limp Bizkit. I think, yeah, I think it was Backstreet Boys or NSYNC <laughs> that had like the biggest first week of all time. Um, obviously, those days are long gone. Right. But, you know, I'm also of the opinion that those days in a lot of ways, it needed to end. I mean, paying 18 bucks for a CD at Tower Records mm. uh, was ridiculous. <laughs> um, but I still think we're, we're in that transitionary phase of everybody's kind of still figuring it out. Definitely. Seth, Seth I cut you off. Where, where, where were you going with your point? No, just, to, just in, almost to the point, you know, there's, what was it? There's more assholes fighting for less money or something like that? <laughs> more, more assholes fighting over less stuff. Less right. Stuff. But I, but I mean, you know, yeah, there's, there's less, 
at the table or whatever, but like there's still this this passion, this energy. Oh my god, I use passion. I'm so sorry. Um, Don't ever say passion. On my I podcast. know. What the heck? Um, uh, would Would you describe it as an iconic passion? Uh, right. It's an iconic <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> hashtag passion is He's right out. I'll throw my computer on the floor. Albums. Um, <laughs> but no, like they're they're going on the road. They're doing these tours. They're they're putting out these. Yeah, we're still going. Oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. And and in a lot of ways. Things are better, you know. It's uh, because How? The, the tools are. The, well, the, well, I'll give you a list. Um, it's cheaper to get gear, to produce records, to make mm-hmm. records, to put them out. Uh, right. it, it, we have more, artists have more immediate access to uh, the tools of promotion and manufacturing, and uh, you know all of that. Then I mean that that used all that stuff used to be like from another planet when you were in a band. <laughs> it's all very accessible in a punk rock way, um, there are more avenues than ever before to put your music, uh, to put your videos. Uh, yeah. There's a much, much deeper portal to go down and look for different niche stuff. I mean, I, you know, okay. Okay. the fact that, you know, as much as we can lament that this band or that band can't make a living or, you know, that all these chain stores are gone and this and that, I just saw today Decibel announced that My Dying Bride is on the cover of their next issue, and first of all, that's one of my favorite bands of all time. And I used to love it, yeah, man. And second of all, they don't sell records in America, and I, they don't tour here very often, and when they do, it's not like they really draw anybody, and yet, they can be on the cover of a magazine, and I think it's precisely because there are so many more avenues and so many that so many more niches being served that, you know, people subscribe to Decibel, they buy the new issue of Decibel because they know that they like the music that that magazine covers in general. Right. Uh, and they like the publication and the interviews and the writing and all of that stuff. So it's not driven by, oh, let me pick this up because of whoever's on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're able to make editorial decisions over there to put bands like My Dying Bride on the cover. And, it, and I mean, it, it's... Incredible, or you know, that band Lucifer was on the cover a couple of issues ago. It's like that. I mean, has that has that has that sold like a thousand records in yeah, America? Yeah, I remember even? You know, seeing like, that, right? And, and I know this from the other side of the fence because one of the ways that AP has been able to survive is we certainly have our niche that we serve, which is you know that sort of warp tour zone. Um, but we have to take into account when we're deciding who to put on the cover. Uh, how will this band? Partner with us? Do they have social media reach? To, oh my to goodness! Get this yeah. Out there? Will will their will their fans buy uh, one version of the cover with the singer on it and another version with the whole band? Well, you know, it's like all these. You know, we we've gone to this uh, backpack size format to make it give it more of a collectible feel. That's different paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do more posters. Like it, you know, I mean, it's a constant. There's commerce with the art, and I, I, I you know, I'm. I buckle down and do these cover stories and get really excited in the storytelling aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it does always come with, the, do they have a new record coming out? Or they, what tour mm-hmm. are they going to be on? Or, um, and yeah, there's, there's, that, there's that balance. And whereas I think I, I have so much respect and so much love and admiration for Decibel because they've really figured out how to just, you know, like I feel like they're like, you guys trust us, so we're going to just steer this and get it and be psyched on it. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think those those are 
ways that you can do a band like Lucifer and yeah. have an audience. And, right, right, know, right. And I don't think you would have been able to the old way. Well, and I and I think too, like I mean, because Decibel they have their hands in a handful of stuff too. They do books. Um, uh, they do what one or two tours a year. Oh, sure, so. that's definitely uh, part of it. I mean, in, in our yeah, I mean the AP website, allpress.com, uh, plug plug gets. Oh yeah, two and a half million uniques a month, which is uh, you know crazy. Obviously. Yes. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's definitely. Oh, some, some, I, I think that's been a big part of Mike Shea's strategy that has been very smart over the last few years because if you look at some of AP's contemporaries in America and mm-hmm. especially in the UK, the magazines that cover the same stuff, um, their online presence uh, still hasn't caught up to their print version, right. like even remotely, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and whereas AP has been you know watering that plant so to speak for oh, for years. quite a while yeah, yeah totally uh, I mean and to the point maybe that I was trying to get to uh, is that a magazine like that Decibel uh, Alternative Press has their hands in a lot um, and some of these bands some of these members in the bands have their hands in a lot of stuff too for sure immediately comes to my mind all the time is Converge. Uh, mm-hmm. Drummers in four bands. Uh, uh, yeah. Jacob Bannon, you know, he's got this huge graphic design art that he does. Uh, he does Death Wish, Death Wish Records. Uh, oh yeah, that little thing, Death Wish <laughs> Records. Uh, yeah. yeah, that that he run, they uh, co-founded. Uh, uh, Kurt Ballou, uh he only runs a, a tiny studio that puts out some records every now and again. Like God it, City. Yeah, right. It, and and almost two, to your point. Ryan Downey, like you have your hands in a ton of stuff. I mean, you're you're not yeah. just managing bands. You're writing. You're a journalist, and and I don't know. I I think it looks to be that way. If you're in this music thing these days, like you just have to have your hands in a handful of different stuff. I personally think that's the key. I agree a thousand percent, and I th- I think that it there are so many advantages to that, uh, particularly the whole you know don't put all your eggs in one basket. Oh. Cliche. Yeah. Um, That's really good. Did you make that I, up? I can't. I can't uh, <laughs> it, it's an iconic phrase. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've been frustrated by any given situation, and I've been like, I don't even manage bands. I'm a writer, you know. And, and then, and then the next day, it's like, I don't even really do this. I manage bands, you know. And just being able to have that sort of mental distance uh, where you're, you know. You're not worried about the sky falling because I, I can say, the first couple of years after I left MTV, you know, I'd have that thing nagging in the back of my mind of like, oh, if I, you know, if I was still there, I'd be in middle management, or I'd, be, I could be doing this, or I could be doing that. It's like, yeah, or I could have been gone Oof. in one of the six rounds of layoffs they've had since I left. Right. You right, know, right. and for you know, I have a right. lot of friends who are like, man, no, I don't, I don't, I, I could, I couldn't live like you. I couldn't. Uh, you know, figure out project to project and, you know, and bands, you know, managing bands, you know, bands fall out of favor, bands stop touring, bands break up, like it's so volatile. And then a lot of my friends who have said that over the years that were like, I want to work for the company where I get the steady paycheck and there's some security, they lost their jobs. Right. You know, I, I one good friend of mine in particular who, when I first left MTV, gave me a speech about like how I was crazy and shouldn't leave to manage hardcore bands and freelance writing all of that. Um, and he made a lot of great points. <laughs> he, he was working for EMI Capital at the time. 
And um, yeah, his his position was just like eliminated. Right. And it, was, and it was as simple as that. It was like, oh yeah, you do something that we don't do anymore. So bye. It's kind of funny. You're hitting close to home for a guy that's. Uh, I'm completely outside the music industry. I'm just a regular get up, go to work guy. That's good because there's money there. I well yeah, there's money there, but I am I and people who live the 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 life of a normal get up and go to work and doesn't it isn't in this kind of an industry. <laughs> Um, that you can't get more eggs in one basket than that, and that's going away because, like, I you know my job, I work there at least forty hours a week. I get benefits through there, so my kids can get their cavities filled because I do what I do for a living, and I mm. have mortgage and the lights stay on. I'm always talking about lights staying on. I don't know why I'm obsessed with electricity. Important. And uh, what, about, what about what about food on the table? That's the other one. That's the oh other yeah. yeah, we do we do yeah. like to eat. I, yeah, it's iconic to have a meal there every day. But some people are trying to put food on their family. <laughs> <laughs> but all that all the eggs are in one basket, and that's going away, man. There's people out there that can't find jobs. There's people out there that are losing their jobs. There's a lot of there's a lot of yeah. We'll hire more people at thirty seven and a half hours a week so we don't have to pay any of your benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's it's like, don't just look myopically at the music industry like this is falling apart. It's happening everywhere, dude. You know, yeah. and right. it's it's getting, shit's getting scary, dude. I mean, I got, I got laid off for one month. I was the only person in 27 years history of the branch to get laid off, go me. And um, it had to do with, you know, ranking and that kind of thing. I was laid off for one month of my life. It was literally laid me off on, let's say, the third, started my job back up on the third. So it was to the day, a month. Dude, it screwed me up so bad. <laughs> From the neck up, not just my wallet, not just the checking account, not just, you know, but like for a while it was like eggshells and nervousness and it, oh my God. And that's, and that's out here in the normal not music stuff. I can't fathom what bands are going through in a van thinking, like, what have, what have I gotten myself into, man? You know what I mean? I don't know where I'm going with that. No, I mean, I, I know I think you're right that there's a lot to extrapolate from everything that we're talking about here as it applies. And, and you know, and I also, I, I worry, uh, you know, as a parent myself and all that sort of thing in the, you know, Current. Of, I mean, everybody always thinks their generation is the last. The world is ending. I think for the last few hundred years, but <laughs> definitely. But I, I do. You know, the skills that we have. It's like, you know, I consider Seth, who's your guest host, uh, hello, to be very savvy, very intelligent, very informed. Very He's an idiot. Um, no I'm kidding. But these, but these trades and these skills that we've developed. I mean, if. There's an earthquake in California right now, and all the power's out, and whatever, and it's like apocalypse here for a month. I, you know, what am I going to go to my neighbor and be like, "Hey, man, I can write a bio about you, like nobody's business." You want to trade and barter for that? Yep. Right. 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 I definitely, you know, I definitely think in any industry, it's it's kind of a scary time right now. Yeah. When when I left AOL Music, when I left AOL Music. In 2011, I, I I wasn't looking to like oh I want to jump back into running a music blog, but eventually I did. I was like, well I've been doing this for 10 years, I should run a music blog, right? <laughs> no one needs someone with 10 years experience to run a music blog. Just hire this kid over here right out of college, they'll run it. So uh, I found myself in that, but 
like like any band or any situation that changes, okay, well, I could do some of this, I could do some of that, and you, and you kind of put it together, and I'm not living under a bridge, so. Right, and that and that's, I, I do think, uh, you know, the, the management thing has gotten super competitive in the last few years, and to a degree that I'm very content to work with people like Demon Hunter and the Atlas Moth, where they're very loyal, they're good friends, I love the art that they create, and I've, in the last two or three years especially, I've really kind of removed myself from the rat race of whose band had the biggest first week, and who's getting the tour, and whose logo is next to whose, and the ad mat, and all that. <laughs> I've really, really just, this, just, people came, people came along doing it, and that just uh, really soured me on that yeah. in a good way because yeah. I'm I'm happy to have uh, made some adjustments in my professional life that have helped me personally. Um, with that being said, uh, when the first time I ever really because you know all the bands I mentioned that I've worked with, the vast majority of them I was friends with and had some kind of relationship prior to being their manager. When I started getting into the position where I was having to scout for bands or meet with bands and compete with other managers, one of the things that I would hear a few years ago often would be, well, do you really want Downey to manage your band? Because, you know, he manages bands, but he's also, like, doing stuff for AP and doing stuff for MTV and interviewing oh. this movie star and whatever. And, like, you know, if you have me, I'm going to, like, you know, this is, all, this is what I do all day, 24-7. I started hearing that a lot, and, and you know, when I didn't just lose the band, bands would sometimes come come back to me and, and ask that question. And I always had the attitude that, like, well, look, um, I, I, I see it the exact opposite way. I don't think that that's a drawback to me working with you. I think it's a plus because your this other guy is or girl is only experienced at managing bands, whereas I have I've sat on all sorts of different sides of the table. I mean, if you want to talk about press and marketing, I know what it's like to be sitting there as the dude in the band, I know what it's like to be the manager, I know what it's like to sit on the other side of the table doing the interview. Right on. So let's talk about your press and marketing in a way that's a lot more holistic because, I, you know, and I, not to mention I have, I develop relationships with bands and managers and labels and all this stuff that are much more nuanced and unique and diverse than the relationships that managers develop with each other. Mm -hmm. Usually based on a lot of like, hey, will you put my band on your tour and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's it's kind of catching up now because you know there's there's one guy in particular, who, uh, two guys in particular actually who come to mind who 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 tried that strategy when competing against me, right? Of, of like, oh, but he's you know he's gonna be on the this was a quote once he's gonna be on the phone talking to Captain America when he when you want him to take your call. Um, <laughs> Both of those individuals have since gotten into record labels and tour vehicles and ticketing companies and VIP merch and uh, uh, you know it's like and, and hey more power to them but really guys <laughs> right know? right 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 one of the guys who said that made a movie uh, so you know it's just <laughs> it's, funny. it's funny how that happens because I, I think Steph hit upon it perfectly where you know it was a little scary when you were depending on AOL. Solely, you know, and now yeah. it's like you, you, not depending on any one thing solely. Well, yeah, but years later, AOL Music doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. 
I mean, to think like MySpace, 2006, number one music site on the net. Oh, my gosh. Right? Nothing now. 2008, AOL Music was number one on the net. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Noise Creep was gone for like 12 seconds until Town Square Media bought it up, and now they put Green Day, you know, giveaways on there. So Dude, I, I knew people that worked for SonicNet. <laughs> oh, so, oh, my goodness, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I don't even know what that is. What's Sonic then? It was a original dot com boom of like ninety nine two thousand music okay. site that was actually bought by MTV. And a lot of people I worked with at MTV around two thousand three four were uh, people that had come from that had been absorbed. But yeah, they, if you go on YouTube, you can. They had a they spent all this money on commercials. There's like Christina Aguilera like singing a jingle and like all kinds of big stars at the time. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's like, yeah, here we're talking about it, and you don't even know what it is. It's gone. Yeah, it all that. That's how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that, that's why I look to a guy like Seth, because uh, I feel like you figured this out. You're another person who kind of figured this out early, and people are kind of catching up to it. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Which, yeah, let, me, <laughs> let, me, let me turn the tables for a second. Uh, oh, yeah. I haven't had an opportunity to ask this in a long time. What all are you doing now, Seth? Oh my goodness! Well, uh, I'm writing for Metal Insider. I knew that. Do some of that. Um, I'm working. Uh, I I do webmaster work because uh, I'm handy with the computer stuff for Adrenaline PR and Atom Splitter PR. I did not know that. Yeah. So <laughs> so I do do some of that stuff. You know, updating websites, rosters, and all that. Um, I do some like mail, ch- and then I do email marketing for a couple clients. Um, nice. Helping behind the scenes kind of stuff, like taking the content, putting it together, getting it out there, reporting. And uh, my latest gig, I'm working with Solid MFG, uh, is a uh, record broker and print broker out on Long Island. So uh, working with, you know, making records. And you've got a a, uh, podcast with Bill Meese that I've listened to? Yes, do the Workbench podcast with Bill Meese. Uh, Kind of on a hiatus right now, but we'll get back to it. Uh, Hiatus? Yeah, well, you know... It's better than creative differences, you know? <laughs> so, we didn't have a falling out or anything. Uh, Bill's focusing on selling his car. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, he's hustling. Well, I mean, I, re- I remember when Fallout Boy and System of the Down and Under Oath all went on hiatus. Yeah, so. yeah and Under Oath, yeah, that, that's a new one. That's Coming back. Uh, yeah, they got to, they got to. Um, but yeah, I, I just, again, back in 2011 leaving the AOL music world of like, okay, let me hop back into kind of something of the same, and it just wasn't there. So as I traveled, I had some money saved up and this and that, but, um, you know, keeping my eye out for different uh, opportunities and stuff and just, you know, did a little bit of this, did a little bit of that, and, you know, mm-hmm. that all adds up at the end of the day. So Totally. Yeah, so that's, that's what I'm up to these days. He didn't tell you everything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? And I do some dancing. Seth has become a semi-professional disc golfer. <laughs> yeah. He goes out with me, and Seth has a unique talent, Ryan. Um, it can be 360 degrees wide open and one tree, and the dude can hit that one tree. I don't I'll, know how I'll he hit does it. it. He I'll, hits it. He mows them down. I'll ding it. I'll ding we, it. We call, him the, we call him the tree yeti while he's out there. He just yeah. takes them down. Yeah. yeah. Now much, we, much, much like... Most sports that have been invented by humankind, I know next to nothing about golf. Disc golf. Or disc golf. Yeah. See? Even less. <laughs> right. 
Disc golf is unique in that I, I'm the guy with the beard and the coffee and throwing the disc into the woods. Whatever, yep. I, I don't care. But then there's all these other people in the woods walking, and they all have these big bags with like 20 different discs. Dude, it gets ridiculous. And they're like neon yellow and tie-dye and this and that because each one yeah. is a club, like a putter and a driver. It is – it's hilarious. It gets insane. It yeah. definitely gets insane, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, it's – that's a that's a hobby. Like all sports <laughs> created by mankind, Ryan, there's always those people that just take it too friggin' far and drain the fun right out of it. And it's those people walking around the woods with what looks like <laughs> looks like a gang mower on a lawn on a lawn mower with just discs lined up. And <laughs> whatever. Doesn't matter. Just Google it. Watch yeah. some videos. Yeah, well, uh, I did learn a few years ago, some friends and I that I, I used to share an office with, we figured this out about me. I know who athletes are, if they're famous for something else. Mm, so, for okay. example, you know, I know who O.J. Simpson is. I know he played football. <laughs> um, you yeah, know. He, got, he got on the news for something else. <laughs> that I was on the night of my graduation, the O.J. Simpson chase. I know him from uh, the Naked Gun movies. <laughs> That's um, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, you know, I know who Michael Jordan is. I know who uh, Kobe Bryant is. Sure. Um, but... You know, a good example is I know who Michael Vick is because of all the stuff with the dogs. I could not tell you what team he plays for, let alone what position he is. Um, and, and, yeah, and if it's an athlete that hasn't become known for something else, good or bad, uh, I have no idea who they are. Nice. Uh, LeBron James. I just discovered him uh, when I saw the movie Trainwreck a couple weeks ago. What? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I thought he was great, and now I'm like, hey, I like LeBron James now. <laughs> and I think he's pretty cool. And fun. You're you're gonna look me in the eye, sort of, over the internet, and tell me you didn't know who LeBron James was till he was in a movie a few weeks ago. I did not. I I I I, I, I had heard the name. Like if someone was, if someone were to sit me down and be like, hey, uh, I'm gonna say some names. You tell me which one's an athlete. Like, it would have been like Dave Mustaine, Bob Dole, <laughs> one of them plays ball. Now, like, I, I probably could have hit it, but yeah, you know I what? Know. That's but Travis, come on, really? If you sit me down and rattle off a few movies, no, you're I'm, the same way with Seth. Yeah, same, I'm, I'm like Seth Star Wars, The Matrix, Fight Club, Big Lebowski. Seth has seen four movies in the past twenty years. That helped me discover this about myself. There became a game in our office where people would say names of athletes, and it would be a fun game of does Downey know who it is? You know, <laughs> and, I, and it would be like, yeah, uh, Michael Vick, uh, the dogs, you know. Uh, and, then, and then the game is like, what team is he on? Uh, what sport does he play? Football, I know that. Um, there was another guy in the office where we did the reverse game with movies where I would say... Um, who starred in Brokeback Mountain? And he would go, uh, George Clooney. Uh, <laughs> just, no. just, you know, no, no idea. Uh, <laughs> um, and there was, we at least figured out the formula for me was if they're famous for something else. But with him, we never yeah. figured out That's interesting. what the movie logic was. I guess, I guess since we're doing everybody, I would fall into the category of you ever meet that person that doesn't, know, doesn't really know a lot about anything but knows just enough to get hurt? 
I know I know enough about sports, movies, and music that I can I can hang for a little while. But uh, if we go deep, I I, I don't know, man. Eno- enough to get hurt. I don't get that part. Well, like like there's always um people on the job like like doing construction work and stuff where you're oh, like oh I see I see, I see they're not you know he's not he's not quite the expert you want to go to he knows enough to get hurt meaning like <laughs> you know what I mean so I just use that as a bad analogy wow. no, I picked up yeah. all right Ryan uh wow that's that was educational that I felt like I went to uh I felt like I went to a class and I learned something. That was good. I'm tired now. Yeah, this this almost needs to be on Lynda.com as a as a teaching session. On on, on TEI or uh, one of the other uh, <laughs> Creative Live, one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm, hip. so I'm hip. I know I know about the the stuff. I'm hip. I'm on my, I'm, I know I know Creative Live is on fleek. You guys, it's on fleek. Oh, there I it have is. No idea what is. that means. No idea. I'm you could still edu- not gonna look it up. You could educate me in front of everybody. What is a fleek? When something's on fleek, it it's really uh, kind of iconic and epic, and and, and it's big. <laughs> Travis, just use that in your next bit of press for your band. Got it. My band is. That's fleek. all you need. Our new record. Yep. Is is it, you know I know everybody says this man, but really I think our new record is the best one we've ever done. <laughs> Ryan, can I get you? Can I get you to just say real quick that the new Half Bomber EP is their best work? Can you say that real quick? <laughs> oh, I mean, without a doubt, I thought that was just sort of conventional wisdom that the new Half Bomber EP was their best work. I thought oh that my was. God. That's, that's <laughs> like, I can't, I can't oh wait. I can't wait to isolate that. And put it on my phone. <laughs> wow. Send that to all the blogs. So here, here's the most important question that I have. Uh, Seth, how was Mutoid Man? Oh, Mutoid Man, I got, oh my goodness, I got to see them in Brooklyn at St. Vitus, and they were phenomenal. Yeah? That's my show, that's my show review. They were just phenomenal. Nice. They had so much fun on that stage. You suck at show and reviews. It's too short. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not the... the 500 the, words by morning. Yeah, that's not me. Um, <laughs> you know what record was my favorite record that year that I used to love, and I realized recently I haven't listened to in a while, and I need to? What's that? Uh, cave in Jupiter. Mm. Speaking of, speaking of toy man. Speaking of. Yeah. Oh, throw yeah that I don't know, man. Yeah, no, I like it. I like That's it. Stuff. <clears throat> it was. Cool. It was just. I'll. I'll say this too. Uh, um, when they were doing like one of their eight encore songs, it was just <laughs> fun. Like they had people uh, uh, yell out a song to play off the new album or whatever. And I remember. Uh, 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 the singer, what, Stephen Brodsky, right? Uh-huh. Sure. Um, probably right. say it wrong. Uh, no, said okay. uh, someone yelled out something, and he was just like, you know, oh, of course, the one we didn't practice. <laughs> and you know, and I remember just you know looking at the interaction between him and the drummer and the bass player, and just like, oh, whatever, whatever, we'll just do it. We'll just, pff, it was just like you listened to the album. Oh, Amazing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, those, I mean, all, 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 all talented those guys for sure. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, they're, yeah, all three of them. Yeah, they Jeez. are a they are a top shelf liqueur. Oh, dude, I don't know if you if you guys have seen any uh, of the drum cam GoPro footage of Ben's from the Killer Be Killed stuff at Soundwave. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh, but dude. I've seen Ben do. Um, I thought I saw a drum cam of Ben doing a Converge song one time, and I thought I started getting seasick. I couldn't handle oh, it. Dude. It's insane. Yeah. Well, yeah, take. 
take a Dramamine or whatever and go watch. Uh, right, right. <laughs> go watch one of the Killer Be Killed videos. It's it's insane. I was stoked to hear that awesome. he was repl- that he was um filling in for him because I listened to a podcast called I'd Hit That. It's a drumming podcast. It's mm-hmm. fantastic, and um the dude who I can't remember who the host is. He's a drummer that I guess people might know. He interviewed Dave, whatever his last name is. It begins with an E. I can't pronounce mm-hmm. it right. Oh, we'll, we'll just leave it at whatever his name is. Whatever his name is. Dave, Dave E. e uh, who recorded Killer Be Killed, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then Ben got to, um, Ben gets to fill in because then Dave went to Anti-Mask. Ben is actually the full-fledged new drummer of Killer Be Killed. was somebody who had done, you know, he, he's kind of advertised as the ex-drummer of Mars Volta, but I believe, I, mean, I think all three of us might have been in Mars Volta at one point. I think he was the last, <laughs> he just happened to be the last drummer of Mars Volta. Yeah, and he was he was a buddy of Greg's, and, you know, here you had Greg, Troy, and Max, who are all very iconic in their own right. <laughs> Would and, you stop saying iconic for crying out loud? And now... Well. No, clear, clearly very well-established, well-known the shoe <laughs> fit, <yeah>. guys. <laughs> and, and my, you know, and a lot of other people's opinion, Dave was kind of the guy where it was like, hey, let's let's throw this guy a bone. He's super talented, and uh, Greg's buddies with him. Let's get him in the mix to play drums. And, uh, whew, boy, um, let's just say that guy has not been a delight to work with. Really? Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, I, I mean, I don't, care, I don't care if he listens to this because I'm not saying anything that isn't true. He won't listen to this. A couple of weeks before Soundwave needed a confirmation from us, and, you know, it's so hard to coordinate all the schedules between all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the absolute 11th hour, we were all waiting on Dave to find out his schedule. He comes back and says, yep, sorry, guys, I won't actually be able to do Soundwave, so, you know, Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, you know, to the, to our agent, he's like, you know, let me know about the next one, and we're all just like, wait, what? <laughs> you waited all this time, and and and, all, and it was just so casual, just so like, yeah, can't do it, and um, really, we were like the the rest of the band, the other and managers, and everything, you know, everybody was like, we got it, this is the shot, like we gotta do the sound wave, and um, you know, I, I think as far as fill-ins go. 
it's like, you know, you, you can't really do much with a fill-in singer. And in the case of this band, there's three singers. And it's like, man, if the three singers can go and the drummer can't, uh, <laughs> he's, the guy's got to let us take a fill-in. Or I mean, this is just, what do you mean he can't go? So we find out, not through him, that his other band, the reason why he can't go is because his other band is doing the same fucking tour. And yeah, it's like, really, dude, something. like, you're, you want to be, and, and as far as I know, this guy has always been a session guy and a hired gun, and very generously, Greg and Troy and Max, you know, made, made him a, a real member of this band, and it's like, you're in a band with these guys, and you're just, like, playing these, he had, like, he hired some dude to, like, email all of us and tell us that, I mean, it was just, wow, <laughs> like, really, you, it didn't, you didn't you didn't want to mention that the reason why you're unavailable is because your other band is doing the exact same tour. <laughs> and wow. so anyway, they really soured things, uh, and it's a situation that is currently still being resolved. But um, yeah, Ben, ben is. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Can I ask a dumb, ignorant, I don't work in the industry question? Sure. Wouldn't that Wouldn't that make it easier for him? That's uh, couldn't be any further from an ignorant question. I think that's a very intelligent question, and yet uh, one that uh, the gentleman we're discussing does not have an answer to. So, uh, yeah, it, I'm, that was one of the many questions asked on our side. Okay, <laughs> this dude, this dude came off of. Um, he started. He fell into a. I remember that story on the on the podcast. He fell into like huge pop star opportunity. Yeah, he filled uh, in for Miley Cyrus's drummer for a while. That's right. Um, and I think, um, I think he played with Justin Timberlake. I mean, I you know, I got along with him just fine. Uh, I, he did an amazing job on the record. He did a great job in the videos. I was kind of shocked and appalled by the whole thing. And then he, he didn't have a manager. He was self-managed, so he would be in a lot of the conversations and the emails. But I mean, there's so many, you know, Max has his wife, Gloria, who's, you know, Great friend of mine, and sure, yeah, together. Nick John, who does Mastodon, it was the three of us, and then Dave on uh, representing himself. Um, and we were very generous. I mean, he, you know, he got paid a buyout for publishing, even though, you know, no offense to drummers that aren't Charlie Benante writing riffs or Lars Ulrich arranging songs, but Max and Troy and Greg wrote those songs, and they still very generously like handed him money sure. that they didn't get. I don't. know, It was just. It was. No, that's not offensive. That's the gig. I, I play drums, and I, I, I actually, I'm nowhere near any any of this stuff, but the one thing that I do listen to the most is the drumming side of things, and yeah, you need to work when there's work. That's why, because you're only getting, you're getting a small little nibble of pieces yeah, and, and, of pie. But you always, but you also, a band will go in the studio for six weeks, and you're done after like four days. Yeah, you go, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, the studio's been grinding, yeah, the band's been grinding this out for 11 months. I was done in a week. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but you'd, you'd think that would be, my God, same tour, two bands, double dip. I mean, or, or 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 at the very least, say like, you know what? Take a fill in with my blessing. I'll catch you on the flip side. I totally get. It. But he was originally saying like, you know, I can't. I would. I wouldn't do the tour without one of you guys. And and this was the thing. Mm. You know, when we got a lawyer involved, the first thing the lawyer said to me was, "Well, let me ask you this: When you went to Soundwave and you said we're coming with Ben from Converge instead of the guy that's on the record, did your guarantee go down?" Did they say, you know, we're not getting the whole killer be killed supergroup, you know, it's one fourth down, we want to renegotiate the fee? Mm -hmm. Like, no, as a matter of fact, 
or the opposite, they were super stoked that Ben from Converge was there. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, if we had gone to Soundwave and said, Greg's not coming, or Max isn't coming, or right. Troy's not coming, you know, do the math. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's, I mean, what's Soundwave going to say to that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just really unfortunate, because like I said, I, I got along with him just fine. I thought he was super talented. Did a great job on all the stuff that he was part of, and then when he pulled all this sort of thing, he 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 brought in some business manager guy, and you know we we asked a couple of times, "Is this guy your manager now? Who is this guy? Why is he contacting us instead of you?" And I actually just texted Dave one time, which is the last time I've had any communication with him at all, and I just said, "Hey, man, you know, there's three managers, and you brought a guy in, and there's lawyers, and I was like, dude, just be a band, like just." call your bandmates. I was like, just call dudes and just, like, fix this shit. And uh, he never responded to me. And, um, yeah, so lawyers are figuring it out still. Um, and I'm sure it'll all be resolved, but... Uh, There's a story I didn't expect to trip into. That's um, interesting. No, nah, well, it's a story that actually hasn't been told, to be honest, but fuck it. Wow. Yeah, wow. Uh, you heard it here! Yeah, exactly. yeah. Do a blabbermouth headline. <laughs> can, um, I do that? can I do that MTV News? <laughs> That noise that they used to do. You can do the MTV News. Uh, Dave Ellison piece sells bass lick. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, that's that whole tale, and it's it's just unfortunate because I think it's it does tie into a lot of the music business stuff we've been discussing, yeah. and that I think it's it's really somebody who wasn't as familiar as maybe he thought he was with how things work and should work, and maybe lost sight of the balance, the friendship, and, hmm. um, I mean, just came at things from such a hardcore, businessy kind of way, and uh, just it, it really soured what, uh, and potentially derailed what was a really fun, unbusinessy, awesome, exciting project for everybody else. <laughs> wow. uh, well, so, bummer, but I, I, don't, I don't know Ben from Converge, but I he's, know... He's I know, great. I know that I think I love him. And, yeah. um, he's great. And he was somebody that was originally, you know, the guys originally had been in mind at one point. And like I said, that's also what's really unfortunate is Greg really advocated for, like, you know, buddies with this dude. We hang out in L.A., super talented. He's always been a session guy. Let's have him on the record. Let's make him a band member. Um, and, you know, that was, that, was the, that was the thanks Greg got for that. <laughs> That'll teach you. <laughs> That'll teach you. Yeah, wow. way to go being nice to your friends. Being a being a manager is fun. Yeah, exactly. What what do you do as a manager? Yeah, what do you do really? What is a manager? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like a bunch of awesome fun phone calls and everything. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, it's been a party. And, yeah. And, and as a manager, where you earn money from commissions, um, you know, going to Australia for the first time, there's uh, barely any money there to go around by the time you pay for everything. Um, there was a little bit of money, and I mean a little bit, uh, left over from making the record. Uh, you know, and it's like in, in this instance, you have uh, four band members and three managers, so <laughs> I'm taking 15% of Greg's 25% of net from whatever's left over after we spend the majority of the advance, you know, making wow. the record. So how many uh, how many Bentleys did you buy after that tour? Oh, so many, and and, and and then you and then you got to think you know the record was made two or three years ago, uh, and here we are in August of 2015. I'm still involved with this dispute of uh, an exiting drummer, <laughs> and um, yeah, you know I got 
I got paid a little bit of money like three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's the man. That's the manager gig. (laughs) The glamour. The glamour. Yeah. Ryan, thanks for your time, man. I, this this was this was a really cool education. I loved it, and that and that little story there in the end for from about Dave uh, from French is uh pretty interesting. I didn't and, know that, and and, and, I, and no disrespect to him or anything. I'm I'm literally uh, everything I just laid out was a fact. Nah, if you're just yeah. spitting out facts, it's not saying whatever. he's a jackass or he, you know none of that. It's just right. That's how it went down and how it's going down, and it's yeah. unfortunate. Uh, yeah. He, he, I, in my opinion, he blew an opportunity to be uh, a full part of that band and make more records and do all the fun stuff yeah. uh, by handling things poorly. Yeah, and we all know Ben needed the work because it's only his first <laughs> band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, how many bands does Max have? I mean, Ma- Max writes like 100 riffs a day, which is how he manages all those bands. But, uh, uh, hey, we jo- we've joked a lot about icons and legends. That you joke a lot about icons, like more, more, a lot, a lot about icons. Go Max Cavalera is an actual icon. Yeah, okay. I can't argue that. The movie that came out yesterday, not iconic. Max Cavalera, that is a legend and an icon. And and as much as we just talked about all the headaches and frustrating parts of all the different stuff that we do, um, don't think that I don't I don't pause to go. I'm eating fucking tacos with Max Cavalera right now. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. I that's... see Max and Gloria, and they hug me because we're friends. Oh, that's you know, amazing. Like, I, don't, I don't take that shit for granted one iota, and that is definitely the, the fun of, uh, you know, Seth and I talking about the, the gigs we've carved out for ourselves. Sure, sure. You've both, met Ma- you've both met Max, because Seth was just wagging that in my face before we, uh, before I was, we got you on. Stop it. No, yeah, I, I, I got a chance to interview him on, on the Creep Show at Noise Creep, and uh, sat right next to him, and oh my god, it was just said he was a total jerk. <laughs> yeah, right, total, total teddy bear. Oh my goodness, I'm texting Gloria right now. Seth. <laughs> I like sat next to the guy, like, hi, <laughs> like, and he was just as quiet. So yeah, it was... he's like Bob Marley for us or something. You know what I mean? Like in metal, like yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's. That's the awesome part of what we get to do is, you know, you get to meet your heroes and work That's with really cool because cool my, my, normal, my normal co-host, Steven, who wasn't able to join us tonight, has been talking about um, uh, Under a Pale Gray Sky. Uh, he can't stop listening to, to the, uh, the, the double live Sepultura album. He loves it. He loves it. He loves it. He loves it. So much so that I was like, okay, okay. I loaded it in my phone and listened to it. And now uh, he's he's absent this week. <laughs> you two are talking about when you met Max. He's gonna be like, oh my god. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and and you know who else is awesome is Igor. Uh, got to talk to him a handful of times too. Yeah. I heard, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard these things about the Cavalier Those boys. They're nice guys. And I, and and no disrespect to the other half. I just I don't know. I don't know those dudes. Sure. Uh, right. But uh, you know, go Cavalera tribe. Yeah. I'm just happy you mentioned my dying bride. That is awesome. Dude, I'm happy, and I, I admit that I got busy and wasn't paying attention or something, but I didn't realize uh, that, uh, what's his name, Calvin Robertshaw, that he came back to the band. Uh, I, I didn't go that deep with him. I don't know names. Why well, they, because, I mean, they've had lineup changes, which just obviously happens to every band. Sure. Aren't millionaires, and a lot of the ones that are. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the main... Songwriters uh, had split 
a while back and is back in the band, which I didn't realize until I got this new record. Hmm. Um, How is it? How's the new one? Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, Calvin yeah. Robert Shaw. I thought, I thought I screwed up his name, but I didn't. Yeah, he. I, I just looked it up. He left. He was an original member when the band started in 1990, and he left in 1999. So, so he was on He was on Turn Loose the Swans and Amy Oh, yeah, Parker. he's on. Oh, yeah, I, I love that yeah, stuff. From As the Flower Withers all the way through. Love that stuff. You know what? I think 34.788% complete was his last record, and I think it's because, you know, that record was... I like it. It was a departure, and I think he was really kind of leading the train, and a lot of the fans rejected it, and I think he was kind of like, well, fuck this, after pouring his soul into it, you know? That was right. my impression. Um, yeah, he came back, apparently, last year. So, I did not know that. Um, he's on this new record that's coming out. This is his first record back. But, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, Aaron, the singer, and Andrew, the other guitar player, are also both original members who have been in it for the entire time. Cool. Uh, the bass, violin, keyboard, drum position has, has changed a bunch in the last few years. I remember uh, 92 when um, Turn Loose the Swans came out. I got a hold of that thing through some... I don't remember where I got it, but I, I just remember it looking really scary. And uh, going home and listening to it and kind of wedging it in between my, my, um, my Crucified album and my youth group. That night, yes, you know what I mean. And, <laughs> yeah. and then I li- I listened to Turn Loose the Swans. It was like gulp, and I was doing the whole pulling my shirt away from the collar while I swallowed thing. I was like, wow, this is a scary <laughs> album, dude. Crown Crown of Sympathy is a frightening song, man. You were uh, you were a record ahead of me. I, I, I got into them on Angel in the Dark River. Um, 
killed. I remember just driving around in wintertime in Indiana in 1995 when it's, there was, like, you know, snow everywhere and you're <laughs> driving really slow on the ice. And that first track is 12 minutes long. Yeah. As uh, the one guitar lead that goes through the whole song. For the whole... Th- yes. It and sounds, I, it I sounds remember, almost like a siren going in the background. Yeah, and yeah. I remember thinking at the time, like... Well, that's got to be a sample. Like, you know, somebody played that for a minute and they sampled it. And then I saw them live two years later um, with Dio, by the way, opening for Dio. And um, Oh, my God. My Dying Bride opened for Dio in Indiana? Uh, yeah, at, at a place called the Vogue Theater that's like an 800-cap place. It's like <laughs> tiny. It's like a bar, kind of. Bigger. <laughs> and I was the manager at Missing Link Records around the corner, and I actually had My Dying Bride in for a signing. Uh, which was attended by about five people uh, <laughs> who were in my band. Um, but, uh, yeah, we got to hang out with them. It was, it was totally cool. But, um, but yeah, I, remember, I was just blown away because watching them live, I'm like, that dude is playing that thing for all 12 minutes. Also, you're opening for a bunch of, you know, you're, you're playing in front of a bunch of drunk 50-year-old construction workers who were here for Dio, and you're kicking out your 12-minute song. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the dude's got a violin right now. This rules. Yep. Uh, and the vi- the violin guy, he, uh, he was also the one who played keyboards. And I remember, uh, I think it's Crown of Sympathy, where it starts off really slow, and then he just hits one note on the piano over and over and over, like some sort of weird high-pitched bell chime just yeah. just won't lay off of it. And it's just, it's so scary. It just it just creeps me out. The album is so great. I love it. And even the artwork's creepy. Like, totally. legit creepy. Yeah, legit creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that was... Um... Yeah, like, it wasn't made to look dark. That artwork came from a dark person. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin Powell, that was... That, yeah, he, he split, I think, uh, him and the original drummer, uh, Rick Miha. Uh, th- those those two split uh, right before Calvin did, and I, I mean I, I I've loved the records that they've made without all those guys, but um, I really love that drummer. I thought his style was a big part of their sound. Yeah, loved it. Um, cool man. Anybody got anything else? We got to cap this thing up. Let Ryan go. Boy, I, I, you should get Decibel to uh, pay for a sponsorship on this episode. <laughs> yeah, go go pick up the new issue now. Decibel.com. <laughs> wow. We don't do we don't do that. Uh, we haven't asked for any money yet. Uh, I haven't I haven't I haven't needed it. it. Cost me like twelve bucks a month to post this thing, so I can I can swing it. But the catering fee. Because I'm one of those I'm one of those I'm one of those drunk construction workers that are going to see me. <laughs> Seth, I have uh, I have monetized a few scans as of this week. Have you really? Yeah. Did you? I don't know if you caught. There was a little banner ad in there. A real one. Nice. Well, yeah. That's fantastic. It's not. It's that it wasn't one of my. Let me put a banner ad in here and make it look like I get banner ads. Um, it's a real one. Nice. That's so cool. Go email uh, marketing. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> cool. Hopefully they see some ROI on it. Well. <clears throat> yeah. That's. <laughs> you mentioned the Facebook stuff earlier, the Facebook ads and stuff. Do it, do what Travis said. You know the whole shirt under the collar thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, see what happens, man. That's cool. Facebook's like, hey, come build a website for us by bringing all your fans here. Then we're gonna charge you to talk to them eventually. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I just, 
I just saw recently someone had their uh, their their whole Facebook page went down for their brand. I won't say who. And uh, uh, why not? No one listens to this podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, it was uh, under the gun. James Shotwell. And uh, it was familiar. like crazy. What? You do know? I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, his Facebook page went down, like, for no reason. And, like, 10,000 likes went away. And, like, me, I'm, screw Facebook, screw Facebook. Well, a month later, like, his Facebook page is back or something. He's like, oh, everybody, go go like the new, or no, it's not back, but he now has another under-the-gun Facebook page. It's like, oh, everybody, go go check. Like, why? Why would you do that? And they, why, they already and, showed and he, what he never got. He never got any kind of explanation from them or anything about why. I don't think so. No, and he just. I think he started a new one or or something, and he was like encouraging everyone to go check it out and like it or the new one or something like that. I was like, well, Facebook could do that again. Well, here, well, well, check this out. Uh, similar, and you're, I know you're savvy to all these companies. Um, a friend of mine makes her living with her Etsy store. She works from home and. Okay. You know, takes orders and stuff out or whatever. Yeah. Um, two things happened uh, in close succession. One was she had a PO box in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and people were stealing her mail. <laughs> and she filed like a complaint. You know, did all the formal stuff with the USPS and moved her PO box to a different post office. I mean, you know, did the thing, refunded all the customers who oh my goodness didn't get yeah. things and whatever. So. Shortly after that happened, um, her ex-boyfriend, who nope. she hasn't lived with in like two years, oh, yeah. no. he had an Etsy store of some kind that was using the same address as her from when they lived together two years ago. Uh-huh. He, I don't know, she doesn't even know what his Etsy store was or what he did or whatever, but he did something to upset Etsy, you know, rip somebody off somewhere, didn't pay for something or whatever. And Etsy came to her and said, oh, uh, that's two strikes against you. We're taking your store away. Yeah. The store just vanished a couple days ago, and they won't get on the phone with her. They won't respond. Um, and she's trying to tell them, like, I have nothing to do with that other store. I have nothing to do with that other person. We shared an address two years ago. And then as far as this other stuff with these missing packages, like all those people were refunded. Look, here, here's a screenshot of the report that I filed with the post, like, and they're just like, no, you're just, you're done, you're banned, and by the way, don't start another store in your name or with your address because we'll ban that one too. Right. And, so and, it's all- like, and I was asking her the other night, I was like, well, how dependent is your business on Etsy's platform specifically? Like, could you just do what you're doing somewhere else? And she's like, no, I, could, I can only do it on Etsy. That's yeah, because there's like the huge, yeah, they, yeah. They, they have a huge network on there. Like, you click on, oh, I like... Uh, whatever, uh, um, rings, you click on rings and you see all these rings then. And exactly. That, you know, maybe they exactly. see hers. There's that network built into it. And, like, yeah, if, if you set that up on your own somewhere else, no one's going to find that. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah, it's crazy to think about um, these, you know, when you get dependent on these platforms. There's, I, I know. Living, and then the platform's like, fuck you. What do you there's do? A, a media outlet that shall rename remain nameless, uh, you know, they got a ton of traffic from Facebook. And then mm-hmm. Facebook changed their algorithms and how mm-hmm. everything gets clicked and shown and this and that. And and where some posts got 12,000 clicks a day, and that was just one post, now it gets 20. Oh. And, and the site 
relied on that that traffic for selling ads and stuff, and now that all went away. Yeah, and it sucks because obviously stories like that are super frustrating and lame and terrible. Right. Um, and then on the flip side, it's like, but that's Facebook's right. Right, <laughs> right. exactly. I was just, just going to say that. Let yeah. me play devil's advocate. What do you yeah. say to the argument, yeah, well, Facebook was free, so what are you bitching about? That's, yeah, that's the other thing. It's not like you paid them for a service that they've now Right? Changed. Yeah. I, I said that years ago. Like, Facebook is not in the business of sending you traffic. They're not. That's not their business. So They're... you're telling me we could coin a phrase somewhere along the lines of, if it looks too good to be true, right? It probably is. Right? I mean, God, we did that with noise creep back in the day. Well, uh, with search engine stuff, it was like, well, if ten posts is good, twenty is better. I pulled my hair out doing that, but you know, we got up a hundred posts a week, just like, oh, tour dates, oh, uh, album listing, whatever, like, totally. Uh, but, but, yeah, it's. Album listing in reverse order. I don't know. Get it up there. But then, but then there is that. that yeah, album listing, one song per page. Over to <laughs> right. Yeah. Click. Wait for this short video so you can get to the next track. Yeah. Yeah. Ten and things it, about the new Lamb of God record. Anything to piss off the reader for that short term gain, but the, that reader then is pissed off and never comes back anyway. So. Um. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but there is that argument where it's like we built Facebook by bringing our fans here. Right. You know. Yeah. Yep. That's the free market, dude. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yuck. Oh, my well, God. Thanks for uh, letting us commandeer your podcast. Yeah, thanks, Travis. No, uh, um, I'm sorry. You guys still here? <laughs> no problem. Well, good, good That's why I brought you on here, because I knew yep. you two would go back and forth, and I would just sit here and play uh, That's all right. uh, the guy getting his Dio concert tickets. Cool. <laughs> Ryan, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks a lot, a lot. I know, I know you're a busy dude, and uh, I, I, I can't believe your resume and you squeezed time in to talk to us, and our, and our modest little following. But I uh, appreciate it very much. Let me, let me ask a couple of questions. Where can I find both of you on the internet? Oh, <laughs> so, glad, so glad you asked. Um, you can find me at halfbomber.com. <laughs> Seth, where can I keep up to date with all of your various endeavors? Check out sethw.com. No, that's one of that's one of my things. My personal site is my name is trav.com. You can come here to as the story grows.com. Yep. Uh, if you Google Travis Turner, you'll get one of the world's archery champions. Ooh. And he weighs like 400 pounds. His name's T-Bone. Or you'll get this really young, good-looking actor who kind of looks like Justin Bieber. So don't bother googling me. I'm way deep down in Ruby, there. Ruby Rose? I don't even know what you're saying right now. She's a Attractive actress who looks like Justin Bieber. <laughs> no, this dude's <laughs> name is Travis Turner. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a chick. I don't know. But that's where we are, and and we keep up with all your stuff on the Twitters. You're active on Twitter. Yes. Oh, Seth, I thought you'd never ask. Yeah. You can find me at Ryan J Downey, D O W N E Y dot com, uh, and I'm on Twitter as Superhero HQ. I haven't been on Twitter as long as Bill Meese, but almost as long. <laughs> he edged me by just a few weeks. He edged me by like a year, and I, I and and I find that my 
July 4th, 2007 are some bragging rights, and then I'm always reminded that Bill was 2006. Yep, I'm user number... I have it on my Twitter bio. (laughs) User number 2,784 or something. That's pretty incredible. And much like Facebook, uh, Biz Stone and Jack Dorsey gave us what for that? Oh, nothing? Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right, where's... Yeah, nothing. Nothing at all. And now, now, now my Twitter feed just looks like a YouTube comment board anymore, so... Well, yeah, and I, I've I've actually stopped following some friends who just turn their Twitter feed into uh, links to Instagram all day long. Oh, it's like yes. I already follow you on Instagram, right? <laughs> right. Oh, Twitters. I don't do Instagram. No. Nope. Well, all right. Think we're good. Think we're good on. I think we're good. Yeah. Fantastic. You guys, you have to check out RyanJDowney.com. Is that the right? Is that the right site? It is, and you, and you're gonna you're gonna edit this podcast down to like 15 minutes, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pro- probably probably gonna cut all your parts out, to be honest with you. Then, At any time, yeah. if you ever did do an um or uh, yeah, that'll be out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to go through and cut all the ums. That'll be oh, that'll boy. be polished up. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be rough. Yep. I love it. Uh, you have to check out Ryan's website. You won't believe what this dude has done. A lot of stuff. The resume. You, of, you notice I just brain. go quiet with all the flattery because I don't. I'm like, do I say thank you? Do I say, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> There's, it's a lose-lose proposition. You didn't even touch all these like, movie name, movie stars. and, and stuff. I can't. How do you interview, how do right. you interview the interviewer? Right. You know, right. like, all good. You know, this guy... This guy has professionally sat on MTV and talked to movie stars that are worth twenty million, and I get him on my podcast, and I'm like, "You wouldn't believe how bad Seth is at disc golfing." <laughs> what am I gonna say? You know, that's all right. So, uh, now, now Ryan's got something on me. So there you go. Your set's pretty bad at disc golf. Uh, yeah. And uh, when I when I finally start a podcast one of these years, uh, right. I, gotta, I gotta have both of you on. Yeah. And and, and I I graciously accept your uh, your. Uh, uh, asking me to co-host. I'll be happy to do it. <laughs> I, I, I must admit that I have a co-host already, uh, and he is much, much younger and much, much more handsome than me, and has... Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say much younger and more handsome than you. He <laughs> <laughs> has, has, has uh, many, 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 many more uh, followers than I. Uh, Ooh. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm hitching myself to his wagon. He's Are you bad. telling me, I'm trying to end this podcast for a half an hour. Are you telling me that this is an exclusive, that Ryan Downey is coming out with a podcast soon? I am. I am. I am indeed. And can, I, uh, can you tell us anything about it? Um, see, I'm a little, uh, I need to get Seth's uh, social media management life advice about this because <laughs> he's half I, I have, sitting on the phone. I'll sit back and sit by Hello. <laughs> I have I have two I have two different friends uh, that I've talked about doing a podcast with. Sure. And one of them I've been talking about it with longer, but he's been dragging his feet on his end for a mm. long time. Cut him. And then the other one is someone who asked me to do a podcast with him, which I'm super excited to do. Yeah. And he was going out on the warp tour, and he said, "Let's work on it when I get home from warp, which is basically right now." Yeah. And now I'm kind of torn because I'm like, "Well, am I?" Am I ditching the other friend if I do it with the new guy who asked me because he's ready to go? Do I do both if the other one ever comes around? And because they are they're very different friends and from right. totally different worlds, 
uh, and both very interesting and both people that you know I'd love to do a podcast with. So, I, I yeah, I say because logistically this podcast stuff is a pain in the butt. Right. Uh, go with the person that's eager. Go with the person. Right. And then if the other person comes back around, they're like, "Hey, man, what happened to our podcast?" I can just say, "Well, let's do it." Right. Right. Well, well, what should the name be? And then he'll come back. You know, she or he will come back uh, three weeks later. With two names. That brings up another great point, actually, is I, I have the name that I came up with Ooh. for the first one. Yeah. And I'd love to use it for the second one. Sure. <laughs> it's never getting used for the first one. So it's your that's name. An interesting kind of, it is my name. Is yeah. It? Yeah, I, I say run with the person that's eager because there's, there's nothing... Uh, uh, there's so much... like the. I mean, you know the logistics of, of everything in all yes. of this, but but man, like yeah, do, the more people you have involved that 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 can lend a hand, like that that's the way you got to go. That's exactly how this podcast went. Exactly. Otherwise, I mean, Bill and I with with Workbench, I mean, we we have a system. Like it is down. We're the technical nerd. This that. And of course, sure, you know sure. all that. But like, I mean, it, it goes off without a hitch. You know, because we're both. But if if you're trying to carry the load of something, yeah, you can't. Oh yeah, which I definitely can't. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah, so yeah. if you have to constantly bug someone or hey, can you record next Tuesday? They don't get back to you. Yeah, I'd like to do the podcast where somebody says, "Hey, uh, so can you?" You know what I mean? Like tells me where to show up or something. Yeah, yeah, and and whatever. I mean, it, it you know, just because it's the first one that you're doing with that person doesn't have to be some. The, 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 there's no contract with it, you know? Maybe That's it only true. goes five episodes, ten episodes, whatever, and you learn That's something true. from it and take that well, to the other one. Yeah, well, and, and you know, and also the more eager guy um, also uh, tours a lot, so he's not always going to be around. Sure. And so, you know, that's also an opportunity to have guest co-hosts. So, yeah. You know, all that sort yeah. of stuff, so. And yeah. then that's going to be up to you to have to line it all up. And I will say that from what little experience I have is you want this thing to come out on a regular basis around the same time so people get acclimated to it. If it's a, yeah. I'll do it when I can do it because I'm busy with other things, that it that smells like what it is. You're too busy <laughs> doing other things. You know what I mean? and, and then people... Uh, People forget that it exists if you... Well, you can you can subscribe to it. I can subscribe to your podcast. You can put out one episode right away and then another episode in five months, and I'll get it because I'm subscribed to it, but your phone starts to get full. There's 10,000 yeah. podcasts. Oh, for sure. I'm yeah. trying to squeeze the new High on Fire album in my phone. I don't have room. i got to start deleting shit. You know, mm -hmm. unless you're just hammering me every week with entertainment, uh, you, you better deliver, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, uh, lady. Perfect sense. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I, I think I think one move. I know my buddy Jay Baker started a podcast a while back, and he did this. Oh yeah, um, is to put some in the bank. Yep. Oh, I'm trying, dude. Travis <laughs> talks about that all the time. Oh, I can't do it. I'm working so much. I'm trying <laughs> so hard to give uh, Stephen like more. Like here, you can have a couple, and we can manipulate and be able to have a little bit of time and everything. And then this dude cancels, and this guy doesn't want this up now. And oh, it's just you keep going back to square one. This is a fly by the seat of your pants operation over here, Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. You do you do want to try to 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 stock some of them up. I know Bill and I have talked about that, but then I'm like out at his place. And we're like, should we record tonight? Nah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Got to feed up with Mets game on, you know. So. <laughs> it doesn't happen. So. 
Yeah. Mets are a baseball team, right? By the way. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah not the I, not the I, sub pop band Mets. <laughs> I do I do know some team names. Okay, okay, Good. cool. Yeah, if you ask me, someone that plays on the Mets, I have no idea. Mm, yeah, I won't. I won't bother. Yeah, we yeah, better we better we better end this thing. We can keep talking afterwards, but we better end this thing. So, no, Ryan, man, I, I gotta I gotta go eat some dinner. I'm starving. Good, right, cool, good, man. go, Ryan, right, Ryan. Thanks. I think I said this four times now. Thanks for your time. <laughs> yeah. Thank thank you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on. I was, as I'm sure you probably already told Seth, I was super excited when you said he was gonna be on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Especially because you were like, "What should I ask you?" And I was like, "Ask ah, Seth what to ask you." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked out good. Cool. <laughs> I think uh, I think you delivered, man. I think you answered some questions, made me scratch my head, and uh, I hope the listeners think the same thing. Yeah. So go check out Ryan's website. Follow Ryan on Twitter. Follow Seth on Twitter. Cool. Keep listening, and thanks everybody. Take care. Yeah, or, or do That's you have fine. earbuds? Like the uh, iPhone earbuds? You better? I think they might be, yeah. You sound pretty uh, halfway down a hall. Because that little mic there on the side will probably help. Yeah. Just don't drag it through your big, stupid, scruffy beard. Like I do. And I wasn't talking to you, Ryan. <laughs> we love you. Take care. Bye-bye.